Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Hollow Hollow podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from their traditional, unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg people. On today's podcast, we discuss the lexicon of fashion and modern Filipiniana. But before we do that, Sigs, let's catch up. What have you been up to? I haven't done this recently, but I downloaded an audiobook by the actress Casey Wilson. Do you remember Casey Wilson? No, I can't say that I remember. She Remind was in Happy me. Endings, the show Happy Endings okay. on ABC, and she has a podcast about the Real Housewives. She's very funny, and she wrote the movie Bride Wars with her collaborator, June Diane Raphael, and she wrote a book called The Wreckage of My Presence. Very funny. She talks about being unhappy endings in her career. And what was really great about Casey's book is that she talked about being a parent and dealing mm. with, like, the pressures of, like, carrying the mental load. She talked about her career. And she talked about she had a mother and she had passed away. And she talked about being okay with it and growing with it. And and she talked about anger. It was quite well done. There was a bit more freedom to an audiobook because I can do other things while listening to it, mm. finding the right times. I know that we're not commuting as much to work. but Right. At night or whatever, when the kids are down, my wife's asleep, I'll put the audio book on in the background. It's been quite pleasant. My next read, I don't know if I'm going to do a read or audio book, most likely will be the Joe Coy book. Oh, yes. Um, that relays, which is, I'm sure I'm going to save it for a taste test or we'll probably talk about it as a pop culture topic. But what have you been up to pop culture wise? You know, it's so funny. I've either wanted to escape or I've wanted to just be in fluff. So two things have been circling my attention. You know, no pun intended. So the first is season two of The Circle on Netflix that I alluded to in one of our warm-up episodes, I think. Oh, has it been so far? It's really scandalous, and they've actually (laughs) put in a lot more interesting game mechanics to manipulate the players and stuff like that. So that's always interesting, because if in some ways it's like Big Brother, but Mm -hmm. without actually talking to people in real time, and it's having to kind of decode what people are saying through their message chats and through their games that they play and the messages that they send each other. So it's fascinating. But I'll tell you, for me, it's an exercise in learning millennial messaging terms. Uh It's like, what is a bant? Like B-A-N-T. No clue. It's like banter. Like banter back and forth. It's discussion. (laughs) It's just like hashtag bant. And I'm like, wow, I'm totally learning something new here. So just watching people do their hashtags and stuff like that, it's like, wow, Jesse's being schooled in millennial texting and group chatting and how to say stuff. So anyways, it's just been fascinating watching the terminology or the lingo for that. Is the season over? Like, has there been a declared winner of it yet? Or? There has been a declared winner. I haven't got into the end yet. So, okay. you know, probably by next week, I'll have probably burned through the entire series. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been scandalous. And then, you know, they've got very beautiful people or they've got people catfishing others. Oh my so gosh. for those of our listeners that have never seen the Circle season, one or season two and then they've got brand extensions for various different countries Mm -hmm. so for example you can get the circle france or the circle brazil Uh and so you have all these 
people where they're playing to compete while they live separately and isolated in their apartments and sequestered, but they can talk to each other via the circle system, if you will, enter circle chats. But interestingly enough, not all profiles are real. And so some people are playing other characters or other profiles. Ah. And so, of course, everyone's super attractive on here. Mm. Sometimes some of the players are just regular folk, just like yourself and myself, mm. who are playing these profiles, seeing if they can escape elimination from day to day. Anyways, it's mindless fun and you get sucked in and it sometimes feels like a train wreck. <laughs> and hosted by my Michelle Buteau. And hosted by Michelle Buteau, who uh. has like amazing clips in between. The other thing that I've been really distracted on and really been enjoying is Shadow and Bone on oh, Netflix. Tell me about it. Yeah, it is basically the imagination of this author, Lee Berdoga, who created this world based on czarist Russia and Uh that there is a minority group known as the Grisha that manipulate small science. In other words, they have magical powers. But hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, one of these Grisha, in other words, people with magical powers, created what was called the Dark Fold. And this person happened to be able to control shadows and darkness Mm -hmm. and divided the lands up into two. And within it are there creatures that eat people. So it basically divides the world in half. And if you needed to cross anywhere, you had to kind of go through what they call the unsee or the Black Fold or the Fold. Mm-hmm. So in any event, we followed the character of Alina Starkov, played by Jesse May Lee, and interestingly enough, discovers that she's what's called the Sun Summoner. So she has the power to actually call light, and everyone looks to her as a saint and a possible person who might be able to finally destroy the fold, but there are competing interests everywhere, as you can imagine. But it is interesting. It has the look and feel of czarist Russia, you know, cross with steampunk. And last time you talked about prestige TV, this is certainly prestige TV on Mm. Netflix. If you want to get lost in a new fantasy world, this is certainly one for the books. But it is interesting for me... I think it would have been better released actually in the winter months. Just has that kind of winter feel, Uh, magical feel to it. But it is still enjoyable nonetheless. And it is the first series and it's based on book one of a trilogy. mm -hmm. And the entire universe has something like seven books altogether. Oh, wow. The first three focus on Alina Starkov and then the other remaining books in the series are based on other characters within the entire series. It's thoroughly enjoying and it's been fun to watch and that's what I've been kind of really enamored by these last couple of weeks. So The production value looks really good though. Amazing. Is it? It's really, like you can tell that they poured money into this Ah. and it was worth it. So it was filmed in Hungary as well as Vancouver. Oh, no way. And the costuming and the fashion, it's just decadent and gorgeous and the embroidery, it's like, wow, like the countless hours to make some of these costumes, like could not get any of this off the rack. Like the these felt like vintage Tsarist Russian wear. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it's gorgeous alone just for its costume design and set production. Mm-hmm. It's been fun to kind of watch it and for the fashion, which, you know, interestingly enough, is part of today's top, our lexicon of fashion. And yeah. Sigs, I've been talking to you about this for the last number of years. And <laughs> as you know, and also available on Netflix, which is the first Monday in May, is the documentary 
on how this arrives, but every first Monday in May enunciates the theme of the exhibition of the Met Ball that raises funds for the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, which is today's pop culture topic. And so, Sigs, I hope you get to see, or it would be fun for us to go back to New York and recreate our 2012 trip (laughs) from many years ago, but this time take you to the Met Costumes Institute's exhibition in terms of their release. But the Costume Institute usually hosts the Met Ball Mm -hmm. and it is known as fashion's biggest night. And so last year, of course, during the pandemic, it was canceled and it's usually held in and around about May. Mm -hmm. And that each year that they have amazing themes that the committee that of course is chaired by Anna Wintour, Mm -hmm. or at least has influenced by her. So 2020 was canceled, sadly enough, but 2019, I actually got to see this one. And yeah, yeah, I, I didn't get to talk about this too much last year on our podcast, but it was called, camp notes on fashion so they were celebrating being campy basically with respect to fashion and this was a trip that I took last August with my uncle who wanted to go to New York and see New York through my eyes along with my cousins Chell and Ranny Uh, and my parents came along with me yeah and I was taking them everywhere but you know wherever they wanted you know my uncle Manny wanted to go But I said, you know, while we're here, I'm going to go to the Met and take in this exhibition. You don't have to come. If you want to come, that's great. If you don't want to come, that's okay, too. My mom elected to go. And wherever my mom goes, my dad goes. Right. right. And of course, Chell and Ranny said, well, we're going to go. And then, you know, my Uncle Manny and my Aunt Flora were like, sure, we'll go, too. So we all trot off to the Met and we go into the Costume Institute and I was just so excited because it was popping colors, references to Oscar Wilde. And I was just reading all the dioramas that were kind of going in, but then there was the artistic statement of the committee. And Uh so I'm reading up on their definition on camp. And then suddenly what I would call and describe as two Upper East Side women said to me, that's a really interesting exhibit. Doesn't it pop? And I said, yes, it does pop. And it exchanged some pleasantries. And as I moved through the exhibit, they were right behind, behind me you? asking me what I thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and more. so, yeah. yeah, well, and my cousins, Ranny and Chell were like also being nice, but they kept kind of zooming in and out. Like, so they'd mm-hmm. go ahead and then come back and then they'd go ahead and they'd come back. And then yeah. sometimes Chell in her excitement would say to me, oh my gosh, Koya, you won't believe what's kind of coming up. And of course, as I was going through the gallery walk, these two Upper East Side women always wanted to know what I thought. And I kept telling them critically what I was thinking of some of the pieces and some of the things I was viewing. You're like and they a docent just, almost. Well, eh? it kind of was. <laughs> like, it kind of was. Like, I felt like I was Andrew Bolton in this case explaining. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain to the listeners who Andrew Bolton was. Anyways, Go ahead. as I'm kind of going through... We actually had some really good conversation for a good hour, hour and a half going through the exhibit. And my parents were also going back and forth and they also interacted with these two lovely women from what seemed like the Upper East Side. And then, of course, we get to the end and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was like, of course, at the gift shop. And at one moment, I thought about exchanging contacts with them, (laughs) you know. I really did because I had such a wonderful time. 
And then, of course, I said goodbye to them. I said it was lovely walking through. And they said, likewise. And they said, well, enjoy the rest of your time here in NYC with your family. Clearly, you know, you guys are having fun. And they were such, they were just so generous in terms of just their questions. They were so generous in terms of like what to do in New York City, other things to kind of take in. Yeah. And I'm sure if I had exchanged my business information or my contact information with them, they would have exchanged theirs. And as they walked away, Cousin Randy said the best thing and and also filled me with lots of regret in that moment. He said, (sighs) oh, my God, those two women, Kuya, they seem like the type of women that if you called them and said that I'm coming down to the New York, they probably would let you stay in their penthouse of wherever it is somewhere on Fifth (laughs) Avenue, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, Randy. You are right, and I hate that I didn't actually (laughs) exchange contact information, else I would have two Upper East Side ladies that I could probably crash when I visit New York City post-pandemic. Anyways, it was fantastic meeting those two women, but it was fantastic seeing that particular theme. Other themes have been Heavenly Bodies, Fashion, and the Catholic Imagination. That was in 2018. Uh, or Comme des Garçons, Art of the In-Between, and so focus on Comme des Garçons and their collections, and that was in 2017. But I think what took international acclaim and what made people pay attention Mm -hmm. to this yearly affair was the 2011 exhibit called Savage Beauty, which I think you can also find the documentary on Netflix as well, which showcased rather Alexander McQueen's couture it was amazing, just oh, amazing yeah? just to see. I never got to see it in person, but they had one of the biggest lineups ever. I also saw the one that I, I just recently mentioned, Heavenly Bodies, Fashion the yes. Imagination 2018. And I saw that with my mom and I talked about that in our first season first podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was fantastic to see. And that was incredible because the finery of some of the clothes and vestments that we saw were just incredible. And then the influence on fashion today. And that was incredible to see as well. You know, I know our listeners are probably thinking, wow, he's really quite a fanboy of all of this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah if, I can, <laughs> if I can go every year, I would totally go every year and see the Costume Institute in terms of what they're showing in terms of exhibits around fashion and stuff. But this year, it's interesting, Six. This mm-hmm. year, the Costume Institute announced that what they would do instead was they would have a two-part exhibition starting this month. So the first part is called In America, a Lexicon of Fashion. So that's part one. Uh And it'll actually be exhibited in September. Usually they would be exhibiting it now along Mm -hmm. with the ball. But I, I guess with the pandemic, it's delayed everything. But I just find it interesting thinking about this idea of In America, a Lexicon of Fashion, which means that you know, a lexicon, the definition for that is is a vocabulary of a person or the language or branch of knowledge. It means that fashion has its own vocabulary. So I'm really curious to see this. And so it opens in September or this fall of 2021. And, you know, depending where the pandemic is and if I've got the ability and the time to do this, I certainly am intrigued in terms of going. And instead of the Met Gala, they're going to have an intimate gala. So 
listeners out there, if you don't know what the Met Gala is, sometime in May, your Twitter feed will suddenly explode with people on a red carpet entering into a museum. And then that, you can tell, is probably part and parcel or an extension of the Met Gala. That's something to kind of look forward to every May, but this year they might just do a very pared-down version come the fall and have switched up the timeline. But Sigs, I just have to remember 2018 when Heavenly Bodies came out yeah. uh, and announced by the theme and Rihanna came out in a papal hat oh, and yeah. Tara was like texting you or tweeting you or texting you saying like, what is going on with social media right now? Yeah. You know, showing off all this Catholic iconography and stuff like that. Like, are we all going to church or something like that? Is <laughs> the comment that you guys made? But do you remember that? I totally do. It was like papal chic. And then it just reverberated, <laughs> right? Like from yes, Shit's yes, Creek yes. referring on it. But even like, I think someone had just recently shared what Chadwick Boseman wore. Right. Look beautiful. Like beautiful. With just the robes and the, you really talked about the iconography in that previous episode. And it was very intriguing because I said, okay, what about this? They're like, oh, Siggy, like this is all thematic and the themes that have like resonated in the Roman Catholic culture. You saw all those things that they were just trying to emulate. And it was just the details and the it finery, was just so intriguing. the yeah. embroidery, the iconography, yeah. the symbolism. It was all there. And, and then it's interesting. It's like you see it in Schitt's Creek later on, mm-hmm. a couple of years later. And you're right. Chadwick Boseman had worn a beautiful tunic, quite impressive and quite regal and quite grand and quite elevated, as you described it. So it's interesting that, you know, what does a modern vocabulary fashion look like? Mm-hmm. And that'll be part one that comes this fall of 2021, followed by an intimate gala. So again, a pared down version instead of the Met Ball, it'll be something much more smaller. But the second part is an anthology of fashion, which opens right. up May of next year, and that both exhibits are going to run until fall of 2022. And as I said earlier, I'm really intrigued by the Costume Institute's exploration of a modern vocabulary on American fashion. And the person that curates all of this that I mentioned earlier, his name is Andrew Bolton, who has had the vision for all these themes. And Mm -hmm. my goodness, I would love to talk to him and just know a little bit more about how his brain works. But when he talks about curating an exhibit and you hear him talk, my brain just explodes. Listeners, I've shared a preview video with Sigs and we'll put this in the show notes too. But it was just incredible how he talked about American fashion and this year's theme. And that his approach to this year's exhibition was to uncover untold stories and to problematize the monolithic narratives found in American fashion, which, you know, makes me think of our podcast because that's kind of what we try to do is kind of uncover some of the untold narratives or untold stories and try to problematize the issue at hand. And what he's most specifically thinking about is how things like American sportswear that signal simplicity, functionality, practicality, and talks about the rise of American designers. So, you know, notably like Liz Claiborne, Calvin Klein, Tommy, yeah. Tommy Hilfiger, with very clean, specific visions. And I think when people think about American fashion, they think of that. It's partly because it's founded on these ideas of simplicity, functionality, and practicality. But what Andrew suggests is what happens if we looked at American fashion and instead judged it on emotional qualities of the actual fabric. And I just thought to myself, oh, that's interesting. And that if you look at the emotional qualities of American fashion and compare it to recent social movements, like what will that say? 
And so what he's suggesting is, is, is that we need to look at today's modern vocabulary fashion through the lens of emotions and values and sentiments over form and function, which is what I think we used to think of and would only have these monolithic ideas about American fashion. So Sigs, I don't know, like, you know, I just said a lot of stuff there. <laughs> I thought it was very interesting. And I encourage listeners to take a look at this link, because what was interesting that Andrew Bolton did say is that he was talking about emotions. And what I thought was interesting is in America, it isn't shown as much. They leave that to the counterparts in Europe. So when you see European runways, it's just much more vivid and colorful and more mm, dramatic and right. emblematic. But Andrew also highlights that, Jesse said, about social movements that are going on. They had shared several pieces that are going to be featured, and one was by Prabal Grung on social justice issues, and he had this beautiful white gown with mm. a sash that said, who gets to be American? Right. And it was supposed yes. to emulate the fact that about his immigration story. And I was like, oh, this is why Jesse's like, oh, this is a really good point to bring up. And how Jesse said, like, they wanted advance the conversation of American fashion going through this renaissance and emoting like what's going on socially and, and how is that linked? I thought it was a that very interesting observation. That particular outfit that Siggs is referencing listeners, I thought to myself, the emotion that it evoked for me was desire, like clean desire, pure, clean desire. So it was supposed to kind of emulate an Indian sari dress in That's some exactly ways. That's exactly it. And with a beauty contest sash across it, you know, mm. representing the competition. And I just thought to myself, oh, I can feel the desire to be American or to have American citizenship and that it feels like a contest and being selected in some ways. And sometimes it's not even based on what you think is meritocracy. You know, Mm. it's a matter of whether they like you in that outfit or not. And I just thought, oh, that's interesting. Like what will be told if you only look at the fashion from the lens of emotion and values and sentiments? And it just makes me think, oh, I can't wait till the pandemic subsides at least so that we could travel a little bit more so that I could see this you collection need to see it. or this ex- exhibition up front. Yeah. I don't know if you had any other thoughts about the video or about... I do. There was another interesting part because I go, I'm not as familiar, Jesse, and you can adjust or pivot me, is that I think a lot of the pieces are going to be in rooms at the Met. And they were talking about being in with COVID and dealing with pandemic that we didn't venture far from the house. So a lot of the pieces are in rooms. So one would be like the living room and it would be symbolizing trust. So Prabhupada mm. Grung's like, gown that we were just discussing is in the foyer. And the theme right. is acceptance. And like you said, will people accept us as, a, right. as an immigrant or will they like this dress and this assimilation? So it's very deep. Like I really, the, the video that you shared with Andrew Bolton was very interesting. And they talked about fear. So those pieces will be in a basement. The right. basement room. I could just, I was like so many levels. And I think maybe inside or whatever, I haven't been in a museum in a long time. And this was very refreshing and enlightening. So I just wanted to bring that up. I just thought it was very intriguing. And I hope you get to venture off to New York to, uh, Me too. to, to Me see too. this. The part that you're referencing is going to be part two of the yeah. exhibition. Like what you had said, that they were going to be kind of symbolizing American fashion 
told through the space of a house yes. and what each of those felt like. The kitchen was also well-being, like That's feeling right. well yeah. in some ways. And if you think about it, the kitchen, they call it the heart of the home and offers nutrition and sustenance. How can you function if you're not well-fed and mm. you know well-hydrated and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm interested to see how, how things are put together and what stories are going to be told. And again, kind of tell these stories about kind of issues of belonging issues that we're scared to kind of bring from the basement and stuff like that. The first part is going to be hosted in the Costume Institute itself. So in the Met, there's an actual Costume Institute. Mm -hmm. And being able to see this first part about the lexicon or the vocabulary of fashion with respect to American fashion. And so that's something that's going to be in the first part coming this fall. I think most importantly, though, this exhibit also hopes to show how this new vocabulary reflects the social and political environment. And I think that that's really the key to all of this. Like what you said, I love that metaphor of like, yes, for the last year and a half, we've all been in our houses, sequestered in a house. And so how perfect is the exhibit going to be told through a housing structure? But also it reflecting some of the social challenges and movements and political movements that kind of need to occur. So SIGS May gets me always thinking about fashion because mm-hmm. of the Costume Institute and them putting out the theme for their Met Gala ball. And all this fashion and talk of the Met Gala makes me miss seeing the red carpet. Mm-hmm. And the talk of finding the vocabulary of fashion through the emotion, values, and sentiments have brought up for me. It's made me wonder about what is the modern vocabulary of Filipino fashion or Filipiniana or modern Filipiniana, mm-hmm. as one would say. What I thought we would do for today's culture capital topic is actually look at a big fashion event in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And along the way, would we critique to hopefully, just like the Met is doing, uncover the modern vocabulary of modern Filipiniana fashion. So, listeners... What we need you to do is to go to the YouTube link in our show notes and you'll be directed to the ABS-CBN Ball 2019 Red Carpet Highlights and we want you to watch that video for 14 minutes and 26 seconds. And then when you return, we want you to go to our Instagram account and if you flip the picture for this episode, you'll find the fashion that we'll be commenting on and you can follow along as you flip through and as we talk about the fashion. So press pause now. Okay, so now resume and hopefully (laughs) you've seen the 15 minutes. If not, you can always do it after the fact and listen to us kind of pick apart the fashion, critique the fashion and also be amused by the fashion and wonder of the fashion as well. So the big fashion ball in the Philippines is known as the ABS-CBN ball, formerly the Star Magic Ball, where all the TV and movie stars gathered to raise money for charity. And of course, just like the Met Gala, the 2020 ABS-CBN ball was also covered. And so hopefully you've all been able to watch this YouTube video of people walking the red carpet. So this was the last time I think people, (laughs) celebrities in the Philippines got to walk the red carpet with particular fashion. So Sigs, I know that you took a a gander over at that particular. Yeah. So I wanted to get your thoughts on it. What I really wanted us to focus on just kind of like what has been curated for the Met 
exhibition this year in terms of uncovering emotions and values and sentiments. What emotions were evoked for you when you were kind of wading through the 15 minutes of the red carpet recap for the ABS-CBN 2019 ball? There was such familiarity with like mm. the regalness of it. Kuya, it was so much more relatable. I don't know why. Like You see the Met Gala and you're like, I don't got the money, $30,000 a ticket. But when I saw the big fashion ball in the Philippines, I was like, I feel like it's something that we could participate in. Totally. Did you? I found, like, there wasn't as much tension. It's like, okay, let's see what people have dolled themselves up in. Like, it it was relatable for some reason because of our culture. It was very interesting. And I think the first thing is I felt like a majority of people can either toe the line of classics or try to make it their own and bring it to the the late 2019, 2020s. What was the standard before and how are you going to break those standards to make it current, like in a basic, but I, I really felt, I don't know, like at home watching it. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that too. I certainly felt it was relatable. I never thought of it as home, but that is a great way of describing the feeling of watching that red carpet that I felt like I could join all of those celebrities on the red carpet with them seamlessly seamlessly, right? Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't feel like I was a decorative, I wasn't doing some decorative participation if I was walking a North American red carpet in some of what they were wearing. I would feel like I'm an actual participant in this red carpet. And that even though it was all relatable with familiar silhouettes, at the same time, it was very glitzy and glam and beautiful and enchanting. And we're going to get through those, yes. those emotions in a second. But I certainly felt that it was both relatable and glamorous at the same time. And I would have to say when I watch North American red carpets, I'm very much like, well, really glamorous, but not necessarily relatable. Like, I don't think I could wear some of those things. Like I was thinking about the Oscar awards you know, and, and how some people were wearing, let's say a double breasted gold suit. And I was just thinking to myself, I can never wear a double breasted suit because of my height, you know, short men don't wear double breasted suits, but here they were all wearing different versions and different cuts of barong Tagalogs and and it was just beautiful. The purple one you wore to my wedding, you could have worn it. Like totally. you, were, you were ready, and my gray one. You and I could have been out there, been like, "Hey, what's going on?" Like, yeah, totally, and just totally. as classy. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Throughout, listeners, I made some particular notes. There were five people that I, or five shots that I really wanted to kind of focus on. So, if you still have your YouTube video up, you know, I would have you go to eleven seconds into the recap video with Meme Intrata and Edward Barber. And so, Siggy, I'm going to send this to you via the chat. You'll see the chat up and, oh my God, let's just take a look at this outfit by these two. I just thought to myself, oh my goodness, you took Spanish military wear and then turned it on its head, glamorized it, but still kept the prowess that is associated with that type of wear. And I just thought strength and beauty. And it was interesting because yes, it does glamorize military wear and there are problems with that. But I still walked away with this idea of strength. And I just thought, oh, like that's really interesting regalia put together. I don't know, Sigs, if you had any. I was uh, thinking the same way. It was very regal, classic. There was a presidential feel. 
like especially mm. with the details on the the shoulders and I love and I think this is a constant like I think everyone is trying to take the mestiza therno and try to put their own spin on it. Mm, but the embellishments right. and scrollings, like the military, exactly what you said, that's what I, I caught my eye on. In my head, I see the beautiful old pictures, these sepiatone photos of family, or when I was learning about the history of the Philippines or whatever, of people in government, that's what I see. Yeah, and yet it has been glamorized mm. in a number of different ways. That's always the thing with glamour, is, is, is that it makes things beautiful but hides things as well. It does make you question kind of like, okay, we are showing beauty and strength and prowess, but we're also kind of hiding some of those military atrocities too at the same time. But I just thought, oh, interesting statement on the red carpet of the ABS-CBN 2019 ball. The other is at two minutes and three seconds, Uh listeners. So here is actually Pia Wurzbach. And the feeling word in my mind or how I felt was enchantment. Like I felt enchanted by this. And so what you'll see is like another modern updated version of the Mestiza Terno blouse that she was, that Siggy was talking about with an animal print and her navel is exposed and very much like a wraparound, almost like sarong outfit and yet looking so beautiful and severe, like in terms of her hair pulled back and stuff like that. I was just so enchanted by this look. I don't know if you felt the same thing. Oh, yeah. And the Jolie leg, Jolie leg exposure. Like Mm. I saw her and I was turned. I'm like, wow. Yeah. There's a reason. Was she Miss Universe? Like there's a reason why you're Miss Universe, like just fetching. But like, it's interesting, Kuya, how they still have those classics, like keeping those butterfly sleeves. Yes. And it's still there. And like, we're, I mean, we're Filipino conservative, but still just, I found it like classy sexiness, like just a peekaboo of like this midriff and then the leg exposed. Like, oh, I had turned to that too. Yes. Absolutely loved it. I totally was watching her on the red carpet. I had just wished she had not rushed through so quickly. It was you a know, very and quick, I, yeah, carpet. Yeah, it was a very quick, but very fun to see. But in the picture that we have here, and we'll also put this in our show notes as well, so that listeners, you can follow along. The other couple that I wanted to kind of center on is at 10 minutes and one second. Uh And this is Jake Cuenca and Kylie Versosa. And I just have to say there was a feeling of resilience in this pair. But I want to specifically kind of center in on Jake Cuenca's barong. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice that the embroidery there is the Filipino sun, the Philippine sun. And it's in concentric circles and stuff like that. And I just have to say, and this is what I noticed about a lot of the Barong Tagalogs, that classic Barong Tagalogs usually have all of the Spanish embroidery. But what's really been interesting watching this red carpet is actually using, if you will, indigenous or... (laughs) That's, yeah. Yeah, indigenous embroidery or indigenous patterns. And I just thought... Oh, fascinating, fascinating. And in some ways, it was a reclamation of the Barong Tagalog to be our own and decolonizing ourselves of some of the Spanish embroideries that we're used to seeing in terms of the scroll work and the embroidery in some of these outfits or some of these beautiful dress shirts, if you will. So the same thing for Kylie Versosa. If you look carefully at her particular dress, that the the typical patterns, that isn't necessarily Spanish, right? Like she's reclaimed it or this outfit has certainly reclaimed what it means to be Filipina for that matter. It has like a warrior strength to it. Like if you look the mm. details from it, it just, it looks like 
like just a warrior, like a Moriones or something. Like it just, when I saw it, when you had called it resilience and I'm like, why would you? And then I saw the little details on her, like sleeves and stuff and how they sort of match. They look like they're ready and they're symbolizing like strength and like a fight. Like they're able to take up the mantle and, and be that emblem of a warrior spirit. You know, I know that they're a love team, but they look like a power couple. Yeah. Like, they look like a power couple to me. I was just really so, well, those two. Yeah, I thought posing. so, too. Now, speaking of love teams, the next one that I want to bring to everyone's attention is at 12 minutes and 9 seconds. And for oh. those of our listeners <laughs> that have listened, yeah, yeah that have listened to BL dramas before, I talked about love teams in that particular episode. But I also love this love team, which is Nadine Lustra and James Reed. And the feeling that I got here was enamored. And I just thought to myself, a white suit with I would say is an asymmetrical and interweaving cummerbund mm-hmm. worn on the outside, almost rainbow-like in colors, but certainly reminiscent of the. Filipino colors. And then Nadine Lustra in this gorgeous sequin terno gown with like her leg out. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Beautiful, luminescent. And I just felt like she's the heart of James Reed here. And I just thought to myself, enamored is what I thought. She just looked like a sweetheart and him being so pure and white in a lot of ways and enjoying that kind of like splash of color that he had. And then he's wearing running shoes. Oh, that's what I was going to say. How comfortable is he that he's wearing like a white pair of running shoes and all of that? And I thought, now that's how I want to walk a red carpet is like that. An untucked shirt and running shoes. I'm there. Totally, totally, right? I just thought that that was like a gorgeous power couple in terms of how they looked and, you know, really playful. So if if the last couple, if Jay Cuenca and Kylie Versosa were this power couple, like this is a playful couple is certainly what I thought in terms of what they were saying in terms of their fashion. Kuya, is there any symbolism for the reds? In the dresses, there's some. There were some really like popping red dresses, and there was blacks, and there's very muted stuff, or whatever. But red was a very strong color. Is that anything cultural to us when it comes to red, or is it just one of those? pow, bang, or is it, uh, does it emanate? Because there are a lot of hearts, there are a lot of sweetheart necks, right? And like, yes, friends, yes. is that is that just like a corazon? Is that like the type of, uh, for your own thoughts, I was just curious. Like, Yeah, I don't know that I, I know too much about the color theory in the Philippines, but certainly if I would think of anything, it would probably represent passion. Mm-hmm. I would think that you see it red in the Filipino flag. I think if you look at some of the Filipino artwork out there, Sometimes the use of red is very much in terms of passion. Like I think of some of the paintings by Emerson and his use of red. It's typically around kind of like showing something passionate. So I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be. But that's a good. Now you've got me thinking about oh. Like, oh, a future episode. We got to think about colors and stuff like that. But that is a great observation, Sig. Mm-hmm. That that there's this pop of red. The last on my list, and then Siggy, we'll turn to you afterwards in terms of anything else that you want to highlight in yeah. terms of fashion, is this is at 1219, and it is Beauty Gonzalez's, uh, again, a beautiful turno. It, you know, it looks like it's a silk gown to me. It's, yeah. With a beautiful, now, to me, it looks like a sari manok. So that is, you know, the Filipino equivalent of the phoenix, you know, that is kind of put out on front. And I was just so, so enraptured was my feeling when I looked at this. And I was just like gorgeous. And it's in this really muted, understated gray. And although ceremonies are typically are colorful, Uh you know, I just thought, oh, the irony that it's in gray 
in terms of what it looks like, like just means that, you know, she's about to rise and I'm just waiting for the rise to occur before it becomes colorful. And that's why I felt so enraptured and so like taken in by this. I just wanted to keep looking more and more as she was walking down the red carpet and stuff like that. The shot that you have, it does much more justice than the time that she had on in the video. It's quite gorgeous. I think it's the details too, because I was like, here, here, so like you said enraptured and then I'm like, oh, I can totally see and like you're... Mm. And for it to be an allegory of rising. And it is a good observation, Koya, where it's just a very muted, but maybe it's trying to draw us to look at the details. Like the details mm. are gorgeous. You see the wingspan on her front, and it still doesn't take away from the fact that you see like the butterfly sleeves and stuff, but it just, it, yes. it is. It is very like, it, it takes you. Yes. It totally takes me. It totally takes me in. Sigs, what are some of your notable notes in terms um, of watching this particular red carpet? You know what? There's about a strength into fashion forward, and I think you're probably going to summarize this. There were two people, Miles Ocampo. Mm. She wore a suit with a purple, like a pantsuit with purple and pink ruffled sleeve, and Aunt yes. Angel Aquino, who wore a pantsuit like with a camisa mestiza sleeve top. Both of them, I thought, and maybe you can analyze this. I was like, you know what? They were still reserving that mestiza camisa top with the beautiful, beautiful shoulder. But the way the pantsuit felt, I felt like it was a power move. Angel Aquino, she looked so chic. Like, she Mm. looked like she was going to take over a business. Like, I'm the CEO. I'm here to donate. Like, there was something very sexy and very, like, not business-like, but she was ready to conquer. Is that type of... I know traditional, it's usually skirts and it's paired with that and dresses. When I saw these two people wearing pants, is that a comment on women, the role of women in like Filipino society of like, hey, you know what? We can conquer here. And they look just classy. I'm going to look up in Angela Kino what she wore because I won't do any justice for me just talking about it. We have to see. She just looked, she had the little um, pocket purse or whatever, but she was just like ready to go. And she just looked like a businesswoman, like a boss. It was very striking to me. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to wear the dress, but I'm still going to look classy, elegant, and strong. Is there like a change, do you see an observation of it's not just a ball gown? I can be as just to maintain femininity and show power by wearing this like pantsuit and still reserving mm-hmm. our old cultural things of the mestiza on top. Your observation is dead on, meaning that typically Filipiniana fashion is typically demure, uh-huh. you know? Mm-hmm. And so to have it paired like a terno blouse Mm -hmm. or a terno dress paired with a power pant or a terno gown paired with a popping red Mm -hmm. sequence fabric just shows that Filipiniana has moved from this idea of demure women to suddenly powerful women. Ah. And so, and shouldn't, I say this a lot, I say that the success of the Philippines is built on the backs of Filipino women, whether it be at home or the women that are in the diaspora. Mm -hmm. And so they are not taking a reserved and demure approach anymore. They're taking a bold and powerful step forward, which I think says a lot about Filipiniana and Filipinas and Filipinex identified women all over the diaspora and back in the Philippines. And I think that this is kind of what the modern vocabulary of modern Filipiniana is all about. I think for me, in terms of the Filipina, Filipiniana red carpet, some of the themes for me was around reclamation and the mm-hmm. search for strength and decolonization, as I had made the point with respect to Jake Cuenca's 
Barong Tagalog and how there was very few recognizable Spanish scroll work on his Barong and more indigenous or Filipino based in origin. And I thought these modernization of indigenous ideas to the Philippines in our clothes was just amazing. The other thing that seemed to kind of come out in terms of the modern vocabulary, in terms of sentiment, is this idea of resilience. And I think you can see this as you kind of watch the video and look at these pictures from the 2019 ABS-CBN ball, is the fact that the turnout dress silhouette and the butterfly sleeves come firm practically in almost every other shot. And it just shows you the staying power. And I think that this is really interesting because I think the first person to actually put the turno dress on the world stage was Imelda Marcos. Uh-huh. And of course, related to that was that she was known as the iron butterfly. You know, no one could wear a turno dress like Imelda Marcos. And it made it almost emblematic, if not anthemic, for Filipino women to wear it everywhere on the world stage. However, of course, as the Marcos government was deposed, you know, the turnout dress declined in style and fashion because you would automatically be paired or associated with Imelda Marcos and corruption and all of that stuff. So it's been wonderful to see in the last 15 years the rise of this back and the rise of it coming to red carpet events like this. And I just think that that's fantastic that we can reclaim and that this fashion has remained resilient. It hasn't Mm. maintained itself in the past. It's come back and come back, as you've identified, Sigs, as being very powerful and bold in terms of how it's portrayed today. So lots said there. I don't know if you have anything to add. Oh, no, it was... uh eye-opening and I really I like a lot of the themes that you had caught like I think it's just it's eye-opening you know fashion is, is so much more than meets the eye Kuya. yeah totally 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 and I think yes fashion can be about function but I think as Andrew Bolton from the Met and the Costume Institute is saying is, is that it's also about it being expressive and emotional and looking at these red carpet from the Philippines it evokes all these wonderful emotions of enchantment and rapture resilience prowess and strength and power and being enamored and loving and playful at the same time. And I think that those really reflect not only modern Filipiniana fashion, but who we are as a people, which really kind of brings us to the fixing of the week, which is take a look at your clothes and what does it say about you? What does it express in terms of your heart? And I don't know what that would be, but we would hope you take pride in it in terms of what your fashion says. So I can tell you today, Sigs, like I'm expressing... Oh! Yes, yes, yes. You know, and so a residence that Siggy and I first met at, I'm wearing my really comfortable Sunday wearing shirt and it provides me with warmth and memories because I've met a lot of great people at the residence that Siggy and I have been at and formed our friendship on. And so, and I'm very grateful to it. And I feel covered by it too at the same time. Listeners, look at your fashion, see what it expresses in terms of your heart and take pride in that. Sigs, anything else to add? No, I think I'll take us out. And folks, if you watch the videos, please tell us what you thought about it, your thoughts, and what your thoughts are of fashion. That would be great to hear. Email us at holohollowpopculture at gmail.com. The Hollow Hollow Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Rate us and leave a review. You can find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is at holohollowpop, and we're on Instagram at holohollowpopculture. And listeners, we'll put all the photos that we've talked about on our Instagram account. 
Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chel Turingen. We'll see all of you guys again real soon. See you guys soon.